So this will be part of a little series where I'll ask writers as many as I can or the mysterious questions that don't really need or probably don't have answers, which is uh, what they think in the end writing is beyond ideas of academia and journalism, its purpose and its mystery. My fellow writer today is Rob Doyle, who is um, allegedly younger than me, a lot younger. He's, um, he's written two amazing books. Here are the young men, and this is the ritual, which is short stories. The second one. Um, he's considered generally to be one of the very best of the younger writers, and he certainly is in our house, if that means anything. Um, I've been working for 40 years, but it does seem like 40 days in the desert sometimes, but oftentimes not. And part of these this little series of podcasts is to find answers to certain questions that I've, I've often asked myself. And my first question is the general question, Rob. Uh, beyond academia, beyond journalism, you know, what, in the name of God, what the hell or the heaven is writing, in your opinion? Do you need to even know what it is? I suppose the only answer I can give probably to all the questions you're going to ask me are intensely personal ones. And so for me, writing has always been the only way I can keep myself, um, keep myself sane in the world, essentially. As grandiose, as melodramatic as that sounds, it's yeah. the truth. It's not, it's not even an exaggeration. I found I've been writing for a long time, but I haven't been publishing my writing for a long time. And it's for me, it, it, it comes down to what I guess I would have to call existential questions. And what I mean is before I began to accrue sufficient competency as a writer to publish my work, to have my work read, to attract readers and so forth, I kind of, I didn't know what to do with experience. I didn't know what to do with my human existence. It wasn't enough in and of itself. Somehow it should be, you would think, but it wasn't. Um, I was kind of driven quite mad by these questions of what, what is this adding up to? This, by this I mean the intensity, the relentlessness of experience, anguish, uh, ecstasy, whatever, everything, you know, love pain, uh, loss, all of the normal and intensely dramatic things that make up a human life, it wasn't enough just to live them. They needed to amount to something or some kind of significance needed to be gleaned from them. And I've been making art, let's say, in various forms for my whole life really or since I was a teenager and I always will be not necessarily only writing and we're, without that it's like there's a sickness that sets in very rapidly and very corrosively into me and takes me over and when I can write and when I can express it whether it's something serene or something raging or beautiful or ugly or tormented or whatever it somehow releases me 
from this madness or this sickness of not knowing what what to do with this existence of mine. See, is it, I mean, it's, it, that's strange enough, and the, we do le lead such separate and isolated lives as writers, but strangely enough, that is not uncommon, the condition of the writer, I think. And the young writer is in even more extreme position because he or she may be also trying to arrange themselves in the world, survive the bloody childhood, get to the other part of the thing they're supposed to get to. It's all chasms and there are no bridges. Nevertheless, um, di did you notice when you had spent the years of what you might call in your mind apprenticeship or trying to find something, uh, when you got past that, did you still feel you were writing for those reasons or did you feel that there was something beyond that? There was in the two books, for instance. Yeah, there was naturally enough a great sense of relief that I had, as you say, made something of myself in the world. I mean, as you know, f for anybody really, that's important. Not that everybody needs to be, you know, a writer or something, but to establish yourself as some kind of entity, some kind of viable self among self. So, in essence, you're franking. You're actually forging your own passport, franking your own passport, creating your own ports, yeah. creating your own countries to go to, yeah. creating your own countries to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is, these are your findings then, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And creating, mirroring myself somehow. But what I found was, and I, I say this, I hope without any self-pity whatsoever, but I have had a fairly chaotic life. Um, it hasn't been easy, let's say. Okay, I've, you know, a lot of fairly difficult things have happened. I guess it's the same in any life, but yeah, well, all no, I can no, say is not no, always. Maybe not, not always. always, you know. Uh, it seems to have been particularly insane at parts for me. But anyway, uh, it was, you know, at times you're thinking, is this worth it, you know? Is, the, is it worth uh, having a human existence in the first place? But then writing, getting those first books out, particularly the first book here at A Young Man, um, it did give a certain, an intense validation, but also a sense of release. It was, a, it was a, a novel, it was a fictional book, but it was one that was very concerned with an intense darkness and uh, a torment, I suppose, because it was a lot of stuff I had seen or been through or experienced given a kind of fictional dreamlike form. And that was a weight off my shoulders. It was a great, it was like an exorcism just to express that to the world. It was suddenly I felt lighter. Yes. You know, I felt relieved of this burden. You were playing tennis at Wimbledon and you were serving well, basically. Yeah. It's that beautiful. Yeah. But you know you can do it, but actually to start doing it well is a different thing. Sure. And it wasn't only the fact of doing it well, it was the nature, you know, or, or as well as I could, but it was the nature of what I needed to kind of get off my chest, essentially. And now, I think this gets back to your question. The motives have changed a little bit in that after every book, I kind of feel totally spent. I throw myself into it. I exhaust myself entirely in the process of writing it. And it, it feels like at times it's going to break me. And so at the end of it, I'm completely exhausted and at the same time, deeply rejuvenated, deeply refreshed, remade. And at this, I've just finished my third book, which I'm very much in love with, you know, as, as you should be when you get to the end of a book. 
and I feel I've gone deeper into, there's always the sense of urgency, as I'm sure this is a common universal experience for writers and artists, the sense of urgency well, is mortality. You know, this, this is why it's, it's odd that we're both writers talking, because oftentimes it's not the case. Somebody is from some other discipline. Right. But I mean, I do recognize this completely. You're, you're, it's a heartwarming in some crazy way to hear it. Um, you're reminding me very much of many writers, but in especially, especially Conrad, who, as you know, came back from the sea when he was 40 and then had to remake himself as a sort of Englishman with a terrible Polish accent mm. um, and write seven or eight masterpieces one after the other. Mm. And that's what it looks like. He sat down there in Canterbury and did that with his wife, Jessie, mm. and his two sons. But, I mean, every time he finished a book, he, he would have to go to bed. And it's that very same thing, just be bringing in the soup to try and help him through this terrible time. But from the ashes of that rose the, the fresh Conrad. Yes. And when he was finished, um, I think, uh, it, The Nigger of the Narcissus or one of those books, he did say, uh, definitively, and possibly said it every time, that he would never write another book. Yeah. And then he wrote, uh, you know, Nostromo. Yeah. So it's, it's that feeling of being rescinded, yeah. but also getting a fresh ticket. Yeah. And isn't it also like the boxer? Yeah. who may be KO'd and still wake up with his hand in the air. Yeah. But the, the other uh, a beautiful atrocity in what you're saying is that, uh, ironically, I suppose, you, you went from that sense of chaos that everyone feels coming at them, actually at a time in their life when you probably need the most assistance, the most backup, the most uh, instruction, mm-hmm. and then compose these and I mean compose these in two incredibly composed, self-confident books. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you went from your own feeling of the danger of the world and possibly not worth the candleness of the world mm-hmm. to that, yeah. to proving by your work and that it was worth the candle. So this is a question, do you think, ironically in a way, even though it's borne out sometimes, of despair, in your writing, you're giving other people reasons to live, in a sense. Yeah, I mean, I, that's a lovely thing to say because it it resonates with me. It speaks to me um, in that even I, you know, I, I can never know what anybody else is going to take out of my own writing. Uh, but even in my own self, you know, people say my my stuff is nihilistic or it's brutal or it's dark and pessimistic and so on. Sure, it is to some extent. But I think it's me, accurate would be the word. Yeah, I, I would hope so. It's, it's truthful, you know. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a basis. That's what I'm in it for. But there, there's a profound affirmation in it, for me even. Um, and at the end of it, particularly the one I've just finished, I, you know, it came out of a kind of certain inner hell that I was going through at the time. You know, people go through at various stages of life. And, but there's a real intense affirmation in it. And so the, the material may be challenging it may be full of all of this tempestuous stuff but again to bring it back to these slightly unfashionable words like existential these are existential issues for me it's about can you say yes to existence and if you can work intensely and true and honestly and vigorously enough that's my way for the time being at least of saying yes to existence because it's it's an intensely i mean it 
without wanting to give the writer airs, as it were, um, it's an intensely difficult undertaking. You're turning things around in the light when actually there probably is no light. You're creating a sense of sound when you're, there definitely is no sound. You're, you're trying to put in place a pictorial world when in fact it's just, you're, it's just made out of words. Uh, that last story in uh, This is the Ritual, he's the French. Jean-Pierre Passolet. Yeah, Passolet, poor old Passolet. Yeah. There's a very interesting moment in that when, um, you, when the narrator has been absolutely disgusted by him. He's gone to see him in his grotty flat. Uh, is it in London or Paris? London, yes. Yeah. And, and he has uh, hated everything this man has said to him. And the man has, for some reason, decided to confess to his, the, 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 the very pitch of his darkness. And in the story, you hear that the, the man has died. And the narrator then says, but since he died, I've been thinking more about Pasolet. This, you know, that, that's a very great story in its own way. Um, Maupassant would have been so proud to have written it in another guise, where there's a shift. There's a shift not only from um, the reader, but you also sense in the writer that you reached a moment uh, in the story that, that was the destination, and it was there, but you weren't heading there exactly when you mm -hmm. began which is the beauty of getting yeah. up in the morning, isn't it? And then by n night, there could be a story like that in existence. In the you morning. mean the surprise of it, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I mean, so I just wanted to, in the interest of getting a fix on the bird song that belongs to this bird, just wanted you to read um, a few sentences in your work that you th think of in your own private mind as lucky. Okay. Those odd, that odd moment where something happened beyond you, towards you, from you. Yeah. Okay, well this is actually a passage from uh, the book that I've just finished, um, which is oh, a wow. kind of memoir novel, let's say. I'm not sure what to call it. And this binding, what is it? Uh, no, this has been, this oh, chapter this has, has been, been published, published in, separately in, uh, as a kind the of Dublin Review, essay it? story in the Dublin Review, yes. Yeah, wonderful. Um, it's about, uh, so the narrator is essentially me, goes to a, is at a performance art show at a gallery in Paris. I don't know, it's not necessarily that I would call this lucky, it's just that this is, I don't know if you have this, but this is one of those passages or paragraphs that I kind of had coalescing in my mind mm. for a long time mm. before I wrote it down. It was kind of like mm -hmm. a frog, you know, like a pulse. Yeah. Just it was an idea that was there. Or a herald, of, a herald uh, passage, it was, yeah. It was there and it was, it, but for months, and then eventually, I was living in Paris at the time, and eventually I was out one night, you know, I got drunk in some bar, and then I thought, now I need to write it down, because mm. now it's, so I wrote it, mm. and I spent the whole night in this pub. I know, that fits scribbling. Good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it, but it felt like this is coming from the deep place, from the source, you know. Um, uh, so let's see. So uh, the narrator has just met this, had this strange conversation with a performance artist who's part of this hallucinatory show in the Palais de Tokyo in Paris. He asked me what I reckoned. Was he right to have burned the book? I shrugged. Why not? Then he suggested, citing some metaphysical school or other, that he, I, everyone who lived had consented to all this in advance, that the soul, 
in some pre-terrestrial limbo, had viewed its coming adventure. Every hurt and embarrassment, every idle afternoon and schoolyard humiliation, all the laughter and each instance of tenderness, the whole and specific human confusion. The soul had foreseen all this in the knowledge that it would be forgotten upon arrival in our world. And the soul had said, yes, let it happen, let it be. And so here we were, out of our depth in life. What do you think, he said, does that seem astonishing? Would you indeed have said yes to this life, knowing what you do? I don't know, I replied. This piece has now concluded, he said coldly. Well, I think that's the perfect answer to the question, what the hell is writing? <laughs> I think that's it. Okay. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank Dyer. you, Sebastian.